0: Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we may be out of Europe, but that just means we're focused. I'm Caleb.
1: <laughs> and I'm Tim.
0: Uh, Tim. It's been a while. Sorry, we we, we were uh, AWOL for a week there, but I had some, uh, I was a little busy last, yeah, yeah. last Wednesday.
1: Why were, why were you busy?
0: Uh, <laughs> hey, our, our, our third baby just arrived on like Wednesday, early Wednesday morning, so yeah. It's uh it was a busy day. Too busy to podcast. It's been a busy week, to be honest.
1: <laughs> I, I feel like uh everyone should give you and us a pass for uh for missing a week with that.
0: It's not like we missed anything big in Arsenal World, right? No. Never.
1: I mean there's always something
0: big in Arsenal World. <laughs> um the the team lives on, so we we're um we're back, we'll catch up. No big deal. Yeah. Um anyway, so let's Let's uh, talk about drinks. What do you got in your cup or glass
1: or bottle? bottle. I'm going to open it now while I'm talking. And uh, I got a a buddy of mine who's a Fulham fan, but he's a good person. (laughs) Nish uh, stopped by from Canada, visiting Canada. So he gave me a Beer from 33 Acres Brewing in Vancouver, Canada, which I can't say I've ever had a beer of theirs or even heard of them before. They gave me a beer called 33 Acres of Life. It's a Mm. California Common or California Steam beer, which generally is in my wheelhouse. It's at a 4.8, again, in my wheelhouse. I love a good low ABV beer. Uh, Yeah, let me give it a taste. Yeah, it's a California common. It's nice, smooth, crisp. A little bit of maltiness on there. Uh, you know, not no hops detectable at all, which you would expect. Uh, yeah, super drinkable. I this would be a great beer for a nice sunny day. I think a nice spring day. So yeah, I I, I give it a thumbs up. I'll try and check them out if I'm ever up in Canada again.
0: Yeah, I suppose we've moved out of the heavy winter beers and into the lighter spring summer beers.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always a saying up here that there's like, you know, the second sp- fall spring, which like mm. is this time when everyone thinks that winter's over and there's, we're da- due for another like random snowstorm. So. Yeah,
0: of course we are. I think there is some, for some in the forecast this weekend, <laughs> <Jesus>. Yeah, <laughs> just some br- brief showers. Why not?
1: Yeah. but I mean, I was looking at my uh, hop vines in the back and they're getting some green shoots. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this.
0: Hey, so you, you planted a few different ones, right?
1: Yeah. I planted two ones. I was just talking to my, uh, my brew, one of the brewers at work and it's not going to be enough to do a full actual industrial batch if all of them produce this year, but I might be able to get a five gallon out of it. So,
0: Mm -hmm. so you, you, you got to hit a threshold.
1: Yep. It's a, I think they were saying it was, what is it? It's a 10 pounds per barrel. Okay. Of hops, which if you think about hops, are very, very light. So it's, it's quite a few hops.
0: Yeah. That's going to be a lot. So you, you're going to have to really like create a farm in your backyard for the amount of hops you need.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's the slow plan is to let these plants kind of slowly take over the back trellis, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, don't tell the, uh, the lovely lady that that's the, uh, the evil plan, but.
0: She'll, she'll just have to deal. It's yeah. just going to happen. It's na- it's natural. <laughs>
1: You know, when I bring back the uh, the uh, the fruits of the labor, which is a beer, I probably will get some pass.
0: Yeah, I mean, backyard beer is going to taste better than any old beer. So yeah,
1: exactly. Now, just come up with a name.
0: Oh, we got some. Let's let's see what happens with this season. You might have to have a commemorative arsenal beer. Oh,
1: I know. I, let's. Uh, I'm going to outsource this. Anyone uh, who's listening to the podcast who has a good uh, beer name for my uh, beer, let me know.
0: So w- when you we... When you harvest be Mm -hmm. like late, late summer,
1: late summer, early fall. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you got a little time.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. If it works at all. If it works at all, (laughs) you're going to have to really like give everything you can to those plants to make sure you hit your, hit your quota. Like that's, I know you have to, I mean. Inject them full of fertilizers and pesticides <laughs> and whatever it takes.
1: I mean, so far it's probably not going to work because all I did
0: was dug a hole
1: and threw them in there and covered them with
0: dirt. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes, the, the most you know, natural way.
1: They are endemic to the area, so. Yeah,
0: they're like weeds, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. How about you? Are you, uh, are you able to drink or do you have to stay uh, fairly sober?
0: Uh, right I'm, I'm going to have a drink, but I might not finish it all. And I'd, I'd really just grabbed what was in my fridge because I have not had time to go to the store. We've luckily Jeez. had lots of people bring stuff to us. So that's <laughs> oh, nice. that's been nice. Um, but uh, yeah, I just had, I, I found, I thought I drank all these, but I found uh, I still had one more of my scotch ales from uh, oh, nice. Silver City Brewery. So uh, I'm going to finish that off tonight. Well, I don't know if I'll finish this can, but finish the uh, last of those. And hopefully I'll, I'll get a chance to get to the store this week so I can have something for. <laughs> for The next episode. Yeah, I mean, what it what's the ABV on that one? Oh, this one's killer. Uh, Nine point two. I don't know if I need to finish it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that could be interesting. Uh, and uh, what's your opinion of it? Is it a would it recommend? Not recommend?
0: Let me remind myself here. Yeah, I'd say if you're, it's it's not like overly scotchy. Like it's got the more brown ale notes and then like a little bit of a scotch aftertaste, but not um, doesn't hit you in the face. It's pretty smooth. I've had some like um, barrel aged things, or you know, you get you have some of those where it's like so overt with the the kind of uh, whiskey or scotch flavoring, then it 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 overpowers the nice flavor of the beer. I think. Yeah. This is this isn't bad at all. This is actually pretty pretty smooth, especially for a nine point two. It doesn't doesn't uh, hit you like a ton of bricks.
1: Yeah, I mean those are the dangerous ones, though.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, now nope, we've got some drinks in us. Um, let's hit that Tim bit.
1: Yeah, I mean continuing on with the uh, the the baby thing. Just because I want to <laughs> say congratulations again. It's yeah, awesome. Thank you. Uh, which Arsenal player do you think would make a good new father? There's a lot of, uh, you know, different things you need. And I was just trying to get your opinion as a, a father of three. Me, I have no idea how to answer this because I've, I, I do not have kids. So I was just wondering for you, which Arsenal player would make a great new father?
0: Hmm. I feel like, uh, if I was to go based on the interviews I've seen with players, I feel like I, I get a good vibe from Martinelli. I feel yeah. like he's, he's young, but like if, and when he does become a father, he's got that kind of like chill, soft-spoken uh, way about him. And I feel like a lot of times with kids, the skill you need to have is de-escalation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all about just, Bringing that calmness into the conversation, trying to make sure that crazy, crazy energy is harnessed and under control. <laughs> I feel like that—that that is something Martinelli is—is is all about. Like he's he just his vibes are very calm on the field. Like he's—he just doesn't doesn't seem to panic. Like he—he's—he's he's got some the composure you would need to be a good dad.
1: So you're saying that Jaco wouldn't be your first choice in this uh category?
0: No, no, I could see that going poorly. <laughs> I could see that being very challenging for him. I mean,
1: I'm sure he could be a good dad.
0: I I'm, I'm not saying he's not. He I I'm, I know he has I know he has kids, I think. Well, no, yeah, oh. I'm pretty sure he does have kids. But um if uh if, if there's if there's any anybody that's going to get triggered by anything, you know, Going poorly, I think (laughs) it might be your guy.
1: Yeah, I was thinking maybe Tyranny. As I said, I don't have a lot of experience with this, but I think Tyranny has like a very stoic, kind of gets his job done type of thing. Mm -hmm. Although recently with his whole like uh, wanting to move, I don't know. I don't know if that uh, affects my rating.
0: Uh, I can't buy a jersey. I mean, not that I felt like Tyranny was going to be here forever, but. I, any person's jersey I have is like out the door a, a season or two later. I I got the Ozil, I got the Abamying, I got the Tyranny, and they're just yeah. like Phew, gone.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you saw that a
0: Ozil uh, retired. I I did see that. I, I was gonna write that on our our show notes and I forgot. But oh, yeah, um, yeah, I, he he deserves a mention because yeah, he's he's been a a significant part of this podcast. Uh, oh, gosh. And, you know, we've had quite a few discussions on him and I think he, he holds some very fond memories, especially at the heights of, uh, um, him and, uh, Alexis Sanchez really, I think they were one of the better Arsenal partnerships.
1: I always find with when once players retire and you give them a little bit of a break, you can kind of stay, keep the fond memories and kind of move past the, uh, uh, the bad ones. I mean, some very significant exceptions like Adebayor but uh i think in uh in general uh, i'll try and forget the uh the the more more trying moments of Azul as an arsenal player and remember you know his goal in the uh the uh the it was the Europa League against uh, forgetting the name where he did chip the keeper and broke the uh two uh defenders legs and slotted it home
0: yeah beautiful
1: was that Transbistol? I don't remember. But yeah. So yeah. You know, cheers to Azul. Yeah. For that, better worst a part of Arsenal's history and a very, as you said, significant part of our start of this podcast because we were discussing him pretty much every week.
0: Yeah. And I th- I feel like you can't unlink him from the the Arteta trajectory. Mm-hmm. Like I, that was um, a bold move to really start his career with Arsenal like that is that's pretty early on as a coach to make such a strong case as uh to to put your foot down and and try to reset the culture and i i would say nobody knew if that would pay off i mean i think you could understand why he would do it i think there was some concern about what that did to the quality of the team. But at the same time, he wasn't performing as at, at the level that he needed to either. And so that was, it was just uh it was a tough decision that had to be made. And he subsequently had to make the same sort of call with a Balmyang as well. And it's um, I don't know if he could have done one without the other.
1: Mm-hmm. But uh, as a the guardian article, I read about it said, it's kind of funny that his uh kind of last major interaction. Of being an Arsenal player was to uh, offer to pay Gunnarsson's salary during the uh, pandemic. So,
0: yeah, weird. Yeah, <laughs> remember that? <laughs> yeah. I almost
1: totally forgot about that.
0: That I was watching the clip from uh, a pandemic game earlier, and I, it just felt so bizarre. Mm-hmm. I, just thinking about how those games were. The closed door and and just like the slow the kind of slow, easygoing pace. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Less urgency.
0: Yeah. It is amazing what adrenaline can do with the crowd getting behind you. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got through the Tim bit. Now on to the good and the bad and the ugly of the last couple weeks. Uh, yeah. I think the 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 first thing we have to touch on is the uh Europa League we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week but it's a significant blow to the yeah. the season um so where are you glass half empty or glass half full on this one
1: I'm glass half full I it, like I know sp- they're not the Sporting is not the, necessarily the uh the biggest name you can face in Europe, but there's still a, a a good team, a, a team that is close enough to Arsenal, has a history that losing to him, I don't think is shameful. I think it was, a you know, obviously a very close tie when it goes down to penalties. There's some rotation in the game. Uh, and, it, and, you know, Ramsdale got his hand on two of the penalties and they just went in and, you know, Martinelli missed his, but overall, I mean, if you want my real honest God answer, I'm not unhappy that we're playing less games towards the end of the season. It would have been a big ask to there are still some really good teams in the competition. So I don't there was never not a gimme that we were going to win, you know, so I'm not. It sucks. I always want to win everything. I, I would love to have a European trophy. To be fair, I'd rather it be the Champions League than the Europa League, but it would still be cool to have a European trophy. But yeah, you know, less games, we can really just concentrate on the league, and you know, it is what it is. What's your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah i I had to remind myself, you know, kind of thinking about the uh, quality of our team and what it means to be the Premier League leaders and to get knocked out of this tournament um, because it doesn't, it, it almost doesn't square, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. looking at one of the best teams in the best leagues in the world. And, and it's, um, it doesn't feel quite right to lose to, to sporting, but as you said, like the sporting is not bad and it, it's not like they are, I, I feel um, ashamed of it or anything like that. But it, if you, think about like where Arsenal really is on their rebuild. We're not yet a Champions League level team that can field two really solid teams that can take on multiple tournaments. We're almost there. We're about a team and a half if everybody's mm-hmm. healthy. Um, So, you know, with rotation, with um, fatigue, with whatever may play into it, um, you know, it's not easy to go out and win a a European tournament and go out and try to maintain uh, the title challenge in the Premier League as well. So I think the reality is it was going to be really difficult to go deep into Europa League and maintain the pace that we need to maintain in the Premier League. So I think with being... In first place, and and in, in this late into the season, I it, I don't know anybody that would like throw the game or you know try to get out of it, but I think everybody has to think this is a a big sigh of uh, something we should have a big sigh of relief about. Over, you know, when you're looking at what Man City's still going to have to do with the FA Cup, Champions League, and the Premier League, I think it puts us in a much better position, and we've been able to. I think last year was a great building year when we didn't have Europe, a European tournament to worry about. It allowed, allowed us to kind of get into the flow of things, and then I think that was a good um, springboard into this season. So I think, you know, if, if if you have to cut out Europe to bring focus to your season, it, it might not be the worst thing in the world and, and is probably, the could be a, a huge deciding factor in, in us going deep into the season and still um, maintaining a a title challenge.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's from the people I've talked to about the game. It's that's just the general opinions. It sucked. I'd like to have gone further, but don't hate not or having not having to play a couple games. I think the other thing I just am thinking about now that I found interesting from the game is what do you think about not starting uh, Turner in goal and going with Ramsdale for this tie
0: or for that game? Um, I think it showed the seriousness for, uh, of this, I think. And, you know, you, you look at the um, the team that did get put out there. It was really, it was rotated where it had to be but really I think he was, it was, the goal was to, to go out and win this. You know, I don't think you're, you're going to take this, this lightly. You're going to try and move forward and and go as, as deep as you can. But some, you know, for the most part, you're looking at a pretty strong lineup. You know, you got outside of, uh, Jorginho in the middle, which isn't a bad swap. I think if if you're going to rotate, you you would do it here. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a team that that looked like it was going to be able to hold its own, and I think it, that having Turner in there would have been fine. But I think there was a couple major saves from from uh, Ramsdale. So it, and like you said, he he really had a couple. Uh, opportunities to to stop some penalties at the end there so um one thing that scratches at the back of my mind is Turner is a very good penalty stopper that is one Hmm. of his specialties um so I'd be curious to see what would have happened in an alternate universe where Turner gets the start here but I you know maybe we don't even go to penalties at that point
1: I mean if you're Turner are you upset that you didn't get to play this game
0: I think he probably was upset as a as a competitor and somebody who wants to um, get minutes. That may be his last chance, you know, for the season. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he was upset about not getting that opportunity. But I think at the end of the day, you understand that this team is about winning, and you're gonna in in, in this situation, you're gonna put your best foot forward and try to make sure that you're moving f- deeper into the uh, Europa League. And I, I think at the end of the day, he would understand that.
1: Yeah. Anything else you want to bring up with the uh, the the Europa League?
0: Well, I did. You know, talking about the penalty shootout, the ultimate um, person who had hit fall on his shoulders was Martinelli, who had the miss. And um, it is interesting to now have you know Saka's big uh, tournament miss miss penalty, and now Martinelli in this in this similar situation. Um, it is interesting to think about both of them having that in their history, but I think you look at what Sokka has done since that happened to him and he's been stone cold on penalties mm-hmm. ever since. I think it's a, an area that he has put focus on. I'm not, It's not even to say he was ever bad at it. It's just when something like that happens, people assume that it's going to affect your play. It's going to affect your focus. And he has shown since then he's doubled down he has looked even better than ever in that area and has put emphasis on being a a penalty kick taker for Arsenal when when the opportunity arises so for for Saka that's been an opportunity for him to uh rise above some adversity and the storyline to take from this this game with Martinelli I think there's been um He's he's had like really, uh, a a a little bit of a rough period since the World Cup, and so there were people that were starting to uh, wonder if he'd lost you know lost his form was not going to come back as strong. And and we talked about how he was not looking quite as good without Jesus in the lineup, and that was to be expected. They played so well together, and then Trasard comes in, and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden Martinelli's got a new least on life, so to speak, he started to look a lot better, and then you have something like this happen in this in this sporting game where uh, you got the weight of the team on your shoulders, and he misses a penalty, and you think, "Oh boy, is that going to set him back?" And I think we can say safely after this Crystal Palace game that no, Martinelli is not going to be easily deterred. I think he's he's back and better than ever already, and I think the amount of um, perseverance that both those players have shown and the ability to come back and not be not lose focus and not be deterred. Uh, it, it's it's amazing to really see them uh, overcome and look better than they did before.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I I always think about it, which is that penalties are a weird kind of sub game in soccer. It's it's not a skill that you use day in day out it's not a thing that happens all the time and you tend to remember the misses more than you remember the, the, the makes, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think, uh, with Martinelli, he's just going to, you know, brush it off. I think he has a supportive club. I don't, I have heard no one, freak out on Martinelli I've, I've like I mean I don't watch the uh, Arsenal fan TV or the dark ed- edges of the internet where there might have been some negative comments but I think most Arsenal players are like yeah you missed it it was I mean it wasn't a great penalty that you took but it wasn't like the worst one I've seen
0: yeah so. and I, I feel like in these situations if your team gets to the point where it's gone to penalties you have missed opportunities leading up to that and there's mm. certainly o- opportunities for Arsenal to not get to that point. So penalties seem so arbitrary. It's it's like such a small aspect of the regular game to have to decide a game by that. It's yeah. one of my least favorite things. But um, you have to end it somehow. So I guess yeah. that's, that's as good as we can get.
1: I mean, I, I, I've i said this many times. I'm sure I've said it on the podcast. I've taken one competitive uh Penalty in my uh, soccer playing career and I skied it horribly. So
0: it can happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, with me, it would happen all the time. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. So like I said, Arsenal, Arsenal as it in general took a big step forward against Crystal Palace. I think that was the um, Martinelli was, was indicative of how this whole team needed to really put that, uh, game behind them and, and come out strong against a pretty um, I don't know if depleted is the word but you know a, a team that was kind of in an awkward situation we seem to get the the weird coach firings right before we get <laughs> um, we get to play these teams so you're thinking coaching bump from whoever it's going to be um, and poor one out for Vera I think we we can't gloss over that uh I don't know if he. I, I still don't know if we've figured out if he's a great coach. I think he has great qualities, I think he has great ideas, but hasn't figured out how to s- s- sustain that or hasn't found that right team that allows him to do what he needs to do. But
1: I mean, I think the I mean I, I think it was absolutely madness what Palace did to fire him right before this game, especially mm. not having anyone lined up right, right for it. I think it was pretty poor form to fire him over a phone call on his way to training. That's just not a, 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 a classy move. I also think, yeah, they haven't won since uh, the new year, but you have to, Palace has to understand where they're at too, that they're not going to be, you know, doing a ton of wins, especially with the backing that Viera got. He wasn't given a lot of resources and it, it, to me it reeks very much of they don't know what to do so firing the coach is going to get the fans off the backs to a certain degree
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i mean the bottom of the premier league right now is absolutely crazy it's i think it's the bottom from 12 below but 12 down are separated by 4 points it's 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 a, everyone's involved in the, the relegation scrap right now and it's i you could have done this before the transfer window ended and have a new coach come in, maybe get a couple new signings and make a difference. I don't know who you get in that's going to... I mean, they did. They got in a uh, Hodgson, which yeah. I, I, I don't think that's a recipe for success. I could be wrong. You know, play this back when I, he brings them back to Europa places somehow or something. But, you know, hiring it's never good to bring a manager back. I've very rarely does that bring you success and to bring a seven. I, like I, I like what Hodgson's done, but he's 70 something now. And so behind the curve on management that I don't, I don't think it's going to, to help the situation with them. And then to, it, I think it, it showed in the, this arsenal game, even though Hodgson wasn't in at the time that, I don't think I've seen a team play Arsenal so flat and just let Arsenal do what they wanted, especially in the first half.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's really unfortunate. I think to to think of what he could have done there, but I they I it, I look at where they're at in the standings, and I get it. Like I, it, you're you may sit in twelfth, but you're four point. You're only four points. Well, three points out of the relegation zone. So um it makes sense to want to stop the bleeding, especially when you're four four games without a win and you're not putting shots on goal. Like Vera's not getting what he needed to get out of those players. Whether he's a good coach or not, he lost it seems from the outside that he lost that locker room. So maybe you think you're gonna just stop the bleeding and hopefully stop the free fall by getting a coach out of there. But yeah, it seems odd to do it when, when they did it, if you're going to do it, you get Hodgson lined up and you make that call. So it's a a quick swap and you're ready to go. Uh, But yeah, to take him out before the game was unfortunate. I think he could, you you look at a a coach that's going to be motivated to, to get a result is going to be against his former team. Um, Just like, uh, you know, you the the white whale is Man City for Arteta, and yeah. I think there's there's going to be something that's going to motivate Vieira. Whether it motivates the player, why not roll the dice? Like you're going to get more out of that scenario than you would from uh, your youth coach stepping in for a week as a caretaker.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, enough said about Vieira. What do you think of the Arsenal first half?
0: Uh, fairly solid. I thought they would be. Um, I thought they'd be further ahead in the first half. Like they, they looked pretty dangerous several times. Um, balls bouncing around the box. I think uh, Odegaard had a, a couple good shots on goal. Um, but yeah, I mean to cut to get to get the goals we did get, I think were um, just two two really nice goals from our two wingers. And um, looking at Martinelli's goal. It really set the tone. I think it was um, maybe just short of 30 minutes into the game, uh, 27 minutes into the game. Yeah, just exactly the type of bounce-back goal he needed. I think you look at what um, what the vibe was coming out of the Europa League match, and like you said, I don't think anybody was down on him. It was really going to come down to how he reacted himself and – he did not look like he lost a step. He was not playing with his head down at all. It didn't look like he was playing nervous. This is a a goal from a confident player that looks like he has found his form again. And when you look at Martinelli and as a league leader, he's like one goal off of Rashford. I mean, like the 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 players that are up there is like top goal scorers in this in this league. He he's right in the mix and he's looking ever more dangerous with Troussard and now Jesus is coming back. I think he's, he's got the right tools around him to really get on a nice streak.
1: Yeah. And he, Martinelli just looked so, uh, I don't know, just active and lively in a, in a way I think has been lacking in the last couple of games mm. and in some ways. And, so I was I was excited to see him be be so so involved in the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think overall the team looked like they were up for it, and that's that's what really what you want to see as a reaction as a whole. Um, not to say that Palace was going to put in uh the work to shut down Arsenal. I think it's hard to stop a team that's rolling like like Arsenal were and. Um. yeah, Palace, they did not look strong enough on the defense to keep up with the the type of passing, the interplay. I mean, we were in our groove fairly early on and it it didn't look like Palace had any answer to that.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I was watching a uh, thing that uh, it was Peacock put out and it was like a stat zone about Arsenal. Mm. And one of the things that they were really talking about is you When you look at Arsenal's uh, uh, XG versus X defense or XG for and XG against, they're really, you know, at the top of the league, very even to Man City and a big gap between the rest of the teams, which, you know, is reflected in the, uh, the uh, table. But when you actually kind of modify that for a neutral game state where it, your XG for and against if you're at level with number of players and at an even scoreline. They drop, not significantly, but they do drop quite a bit. And so it seems that Arsenal's game plan is really to get ahead early. And once they get ahead early, they have a stranglehold on the game. And I think this this game is a, a really a perfect example of kind of bearing out those stats.
0: Absolutely. and And, you know, to get two goals in the first half um, I think set them up well to, like you said, put a stranglehold on like you're not easily going to come back from that.
1: Yeah. Cause uh, you know, as the analyst was saying is a, If you take a goal lead, there's the variance of soccer that's going to always come to bite you. And it feels like it bites Arsenal in the back more than anybody. Mm. But, you know, there's a goal that can happen out of nothing if you're just a goal up. But if you can really get that second and third goal, it makes it so harder, so much harder for a team to come back from that. Because, I mean, even when you saw with this game to skip ahead a little bit, you know, they did score a goal, but they were already three 0 down, and so even even them scoring, I you know, Ramsdale was quite upset with that goal going in. I think he really wanted his his clean sheet,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, it didn't feel like Arsenal was in danger or that they were tottering. And then they, you know, put another goal in to restore a three goal lead, and you know, made the rest of the the, the game just kind of play it out.
0: Just how how good is the Osaka? I mean, it, it, he twenty-one. he's now at 21 goal involvements. To to be in double digits for goals and assists in a season, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I forget where I heard the stat, but he's the uh, youngest player since uh, Fabregas for Arsenal to get that stat. And yeah, I mean, the thing that blows my mind about Saka still is that he's still not hitting in his peak years he has a a ceiling that is sky high and when you when you see performances like this game he was all over the place he was everywhere and it was you know in both the uh, the first goal which was Martinelli's goal but the way uh, saka just <laughs> destroyed that defender was great uh, to get the cross in and then saka's uh, own goal himself was you know above and beyond i i, I you run out of words to describe Saka because every week we're talking about it and it's consistent too, which is something that we don't haven't seen from Arsenal players in you know, years past that it's not just that he has brilliance. It's that it's consistent brilliance.
0: Yeah. I think he's gone like, um, at most three games without a goal or an assist. I mean, he's, he's usually very involved with, with, Arsenal's goal scoring, one way or another. And to now have it, uh, Makai with the uh, 12 goals and 10 assists, Odegaard, 10 goals, six assists, uh, and Martinelli with 13 goals, two assists. I can't say assist, apparently. Um, but you know, he, th- these guys are, are far and away the dream team. And that is, I mean, Jesus has not had. He's had an impact on how we played, and I think um, that really set the tone for the beginning of the season. And then when he stepped w- stepped away and was not able to play, you've got these guys just continuing that form. Like it wasn't like it was reliant on Jesus to to hold it all together. They've really been able to continue to score and find ways to score. And like I said, uh, Martinelli was definitely impacted by his absence, but the fact that this team has found. Play, ways to plug in players like Trossard and and Jorginho and uh, Vieira and players that can help keep the the momentum going. I think that's been key to like really not feeling the impact of Jesus and 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 now we just have like this added thing that's coming back into the fold and we can hopefully rely on him to continue to draw defenders and and be a, a dangerous player. Not to mention Trossard's been uh, a a assist machine since he joined us six assists for him. I mean, he's, he's come in and plugged in very nicely for what Jesus was, um, leaving on the table, basically.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and this is not to say, I don't think we're a better team without Jesus. It's just going to be a little bit of a hot take, which is that the false nine thing that we've been doing with Chisard, I don't think is a bad strategy,
0: but I I feel like that's a lot of what Jesus was doing. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. not like a, a type of striker that just hangs out in the box. He pops up everywhere. He interchanges with Martinelli. And I think just getting a type of player that wasn't uh, so far afield from what Jesus brought, like when you're talking about the differences that Enketiah brings, it's is very different. And so Tresard just fit in better with what we were trying to do. So I think that it was a natural um, extension of, of uh, what Jesus brought to this team in the beginning of the season.
1: Yeah, and, and and with the false nine getting to uh, Xhaka's goal, what the hell was he doing in the position he was? He was playing striker, <laughs> and, and it, I mean it's great to see. What it I mean, what it really is is that you see that middle of the pitch, and with the false nine, suddenly these players are starting to pop up, and the defense has no idea what to do with that 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 center area because they don't know who's going to be popping up to to take those goals. And it's, it's just great to see.
0: I'm yeah. I'm really impressed with this, this team and the way that they, they've bounced back and, and you have to continue to, um, give it up for the support players too. I mean, like we have these strong goal and assist machines now, but we've got great, great support players like Ben White had a great assist to set Mm -hmm. up, uh, but goal um you know it it is granite jaca who like not a goal scorer not a guy i would expect to have four goals this season um two goals in two games yeah and and yet when you have these other players who can come up and and score for you uh it it makes teams have have headaches like they have to figure out how to stop all these players and they can't like at some point what would Arsenal has been able to do with their smooth passing and the way they build out of the back is get isolations, get these talented players into positions where they can get shots off and things happen. Stuff has been falling into place because they're getting the time and the space to do it.
1: I mean, even tyranny came up with the, uh, with an assist this, uh,
0: this game. Yeah. Amazing. Like p- players that you just don't expect are are coming up and and making making things happen, um, yeah. I I in Saka, I think man of the match for me. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. he's just an unstoppable player at this point. But um, yeah, I think you you have to look across this this whole team, and and there were multiple moments for each Blair. It seemed like they were um. Making stuff happen. Like I, I, I have no, no complaints about this, um, except for the the one goal that they did let in, which it seems like they, uh, like you said, uh, Ramsdale was certainly looking looking for that clean sheet. So I can understand his frustration because I, yeah. I felt like that that gore, that goal gore line that goal lot, uh, that score line. I cannot talk. <laughs> i'm out of practice uh the scoreline definitely flattered palace a bit more than they deserved yeah i mean it was a,
1: the the goal they scored was a sloppy goal that you you don't want to see scored it was you know just fall into scrum of players and somehow it found the feet of a uh, palace player and he uh he knocked it in uh it's frustrating you think you would think that arsenal would be able to clear that but It's one of those things that happened, but you know, really that was the only real low point. And when you're talking about players, uh, I, I will, I, we have it on the agenda to talk about it later, which is Arsenal's YouTube contact, but they did put out one thing this week, which was a video of every single one of Zhenchenko's touches from this game. Mm. And when you watch him play, you see what an amazing player he is—not his, his passing, his his control. What was really uh, interesting to see in that game, that uh, video, was his defensive play, which I think sometimes just does—you just forget about it. You just, I guess, maybe even take it for granted. But to see how good of a defender he is and how he's able to dispossess these players is amazing. And also his positioning which is, you know, a majority of the touches, you see him, you know, in right back position, but there, you know, were several points where he's like, you know, in the middle of the field, very far for, further forward in a different spot than you would think a right back should be, but it, it, it works. And you can see in the background a little bit, you know, of, of uh, uh, Gabriel kind of slotting over to take his right back position when he's in the, the more central areas. And it, it really does feel like this team, has so many strong players and is a very well-oiled machine. And, you know, games like this, again, have the caveat that it is a Palace that is very much in crisis mode. But uh, you can really see the strides forward we've made as a team.
0: Yeah, definitely. One thing I forgot to mention about this lineup uh, is we had a Rob Holding sighting. Mm -hmm. And I thought he had a particularly... Decent game,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, totally. I mean, with Rob Holding, I I like Rob Holding. I mean, how can you not, as an Arsenal fan, like Rob Rob Holding? But we all have our you know expectations of him to, as well, right? That uh, we we know exactly where we're getting with him. We've seen him enough throughout the years. We know where his ceiling is at, and we know where his floor is at. Uh, but he definitely uh, felt like he belonged in this team. Mm-hmm. When, he, when he showed the minutes and you know it's it's nice to know that we do have these depth pieces and, and i throw i know he's unavailable right now but El elneny kind of in the same bracket which is obviously he's not going to be a starter in our ideal world but when you put him in he plays a a role and i don't think it's disaster when you have to put these players in
0: right uh and i think our te- our depth is going to be tested once again. It seems like when we get some players back, we're losing some players and right now, um I think Tommy Hasu is done for the mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Um Saliba is having some back issues apparently. Um I some of this stuff, the stuff that cre- creeps up right around these international breaks, I often wonder if they are as big a deal as they, I mean, Tommy Asu is, is is a season ending injury, but I'm thinking like with Saliba and some of these other players who not even necessarily on Arsenal, but I think Holland Holland. pulled out of, of the camp. And then, so it's like some of these um, are, you know, a little, a little suspect and I get it. You don't want to have to go to unnecessary play unnecessary games. So if there's any, any little niggles, you're going to try to play it up. And I wonder if Saliba falls into that, but, um, the, I think the bigger, like Saliba will be back. Like it's, yeah. it's probably a minor back, back issue, hopefully. Um, but you know, the Ben White, uh, pressure is on because we don't have the depth there now at that right back position, which is a little, little bit concerning. Um, yeah. That, I, what, the, what's your thought? I mean, that
1: Tommy Asu injury is very unfortunate. I think, uh, I really liked having Ben White as a a starter, I think he really has put his name on as a starter. But Tommy I don't think is that far off. And you know, as I, I I want to say, you know, different horses for different courses. I think there are games where you might want to start Tommy over Ben White, mm-hmm. and not having him available, as you said, like what is the depth there? Who do who do we throw on there? Is that a Jaka? Is. <laughs>
0: Yeah. 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 I, I, I hate that idea of pulling him to the back line. Um, but they had party playing back there in the latter part of the game. And I didn't love that either. Yeah. But I think it, it does, um, make more sense to keep party in the central part of the midfield and Jaka can still impact games from, from that role. So I think pulling him back and putting in a, a, Emile smith rowe or a Vieira into that that number eight role makes more sense but yeah i don't love it i, I, I don't mean, I may, love it
1: but uh it's just one of those things right now we are in the uh the uh pointy end of the season and mm. we just really just have to rock through and injuries are one thing that you can't really plan for in a in a certain way there's a the There's a certain amount of like, we just have to, you know, hope and pray to whatever deity that, uh, that Ben White stays fit. I mean, we have a a question about Ben White later on that, uh, I may elaborate more on this, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's nervy, but you know, your injuries are part of the game and we just have to figure a way to go through As Brian Schmetzer always says, it's the next man up. Uh, You know, when you get an injury, you just have to, you know, gut through it.
0: Could you see uh, Zinchenko or or Tierney getting pulled over to that side in a in a pinch? I mean,
1: I'd be interested to see that. I I don't know if they either of them have had any experience doing that. Yeah,
0: I, I I think maybe tyranny's played on that side i don't know about zinchenko's um i i, I imagine he is a type of player that could play pretty much anywhere on the field if you put him there but yeah, i mean i, I don't I, know if you're if you're getting the most out of them
1: i mean i think that's where my my mind goes is that i think zinchenko is the more flexible of the two hmm. it'd be an interesting experiment i do hate experimenting this later in the season with so much on the line and so many uh, important games coming up, but you know, also what else are you going to do in some ways? I almost would rather Zinchenko be there than (laughs) Jaka. you know, I think.
0: Yeah. I I just feel like Zinchenko. So, well, they're both, everybody is important to a degree and you want to try to make sure you protect, protect players. I, you know, who, Ben White's legs and Zinchenko's legs, like you're gonna have a lot of miles on them by the end of this season. So it, it is um imperative that they rotate somehow. And I don't know if it's easier. Obviously you can um shift Zinchenko around a bit and, and find ways to get get him involved in the game, but uh yeah, if, if if one of them goes down, it puts us in a in a tough, tough spot for sure.
1: I mean, it's one of those things where we might really think about starting tyranny a little bit more, just to give Zinchenko a little break in case mm. he has to cover for Ben White. But and, I mean, and, I don't even know if that's where Arteta is thinking of the depth chart.
0: Yeah, tyranny was so nice to see, and and to have him get that that assist, it was a reminder of what he can do. I mean, he just he he plays it differently. He does it does things in a different way, and when he gets bombing down that that outside lane that's really where he shines it is interesting to see Tierney kind of try to play that Zinchenko role where he's running more into the midfield and tucking in uh it does feel a bit odd but he's a quality player I I think people got to give him credit even if he is popping up in strange areas he can make things happen um and he's a great defender
1: well, I mean, I think that's also the thing about the uh, competition that's good for a player is that I, I think Tierney sees that he's kind of slid down the depth chart just a little bit, but it slid down the depth chart. And so he has to be thinking, what is jenchenko doing that I'm not? Mm-hmm. And maybe that helps him develop his game. Cause he's still a developing player. That's something that we forget. We we assume these players are all just like the finished article and who they are now is who they are going to be in the future. Uh and I think with with Seeing Zinchenko get the minutes, maybe it helps focus his mind and how he plays his game to kind of change it up a bit. Uh, I mean, I, I also thought it was interesting to see after the goal, the celebration turned towards Tyranny more than towards uh, uh, Sokka. That mm-hmm. the, the the players were really. Mm-hmm tried to wrap themselves around him. Say like and I think that's, you know, showing the team spirit of the team that they they understand that Tierney is, you know, a little upset right now, having, you know, some issues with his playing time that the players are are showing that they're behind him and that, you know, when he gets his opportunities and he gets his moments that they're all uh, happy for him.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's um Let's move on here, unless you have anything else to say about that game.
1: I love winning. That's all I have to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. We are in the midst of the international break now. So we do have a bit of a break uh, until our next game against Leeds, which is April 1st. So uh, nothing on the near horizon, unfortunately. I hate international break. I, I <laughs> It's I, ridiculous. We just yeah. did this.
1: I know it's just, and we had the the you know elongated break for the World Cup this year. Like, uh, I I mean, I understand that there's a lot of people that really like the international game, but I just like for me, it's I just want to get the like fit it in not in the season. Like, you have all these summers. Like, make make more games in the summer. I I don't know. I don't know. There's too many games. Uh, <laughs> I just but. <laughs> It takes away all the momentum, it takes away yeah, all it, it really just kind of brings everything to a grinding halt. And me, who also likes to watch three games a day every day, it makes it harder to find games. There's not as many games to be had televised. So yeah, it's a, it's annoying. I'm not excited about this international break. There's some you know tasty fixtures. inga and in Ukraine should be interesting where Zhenchenko is going to be going up against uh Saka <laughs> directly, which should be interesting. Hopefully they don't injure fun. each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said, there's a couple of tasty fixtures in there, but I'd rather just be watching Arsenal play.
0: Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It, 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 it kills me a little bit inside that there's no game this weekend. Yeah. Cause I, I really, I crave it every time there's, a gap now there's going to be even more gaps without midweek games so yeah i'm going to be even more dying for a fix every weekend
1: well i mean it's a, a, a methadone fix it's not games but one of the things i wanted to highlight and something i've been really enjoying is that the arsenal youtube mm. has been on fire they have a lot of really interesting content that's been going up on their YouTube, probably on their website as well. I just get it through the, uh, I subscribe to the Arsenal YouTube channel. And they're, you know, as I mentioned before, they have that Jenchenko pretty much every, I think it was every touch that he made during that game. Just watching that. They do something after every game that's called the bench cam Mm -hmm. where they just focus on Arteta and the (laughs) bench and they'll have like a little insight of what's going on in the game. Like it'll just be a five minute thing. And it'll usually just be the goals in a couple of the uh, the plays, and it's really interesting to see Arteta and what he's doing on the sideline, how he's still coaching from the sideline. There was several times in that clip where they he was like, you know, doing throw-ins or you know injuries, he was pulling Saka or Gabriel aside and giving him tactical information while the game's going on. How much he lives and dies for every touch of the ball—it's fascinating. They do a fan zone camera where they'll go into the stadium, which is awesome just to see you know the fans and how they're doing uh and another thing that they're coming out with right now is it's called gosh i should have written down the name of the, the it's a mini series that they're putting out They're 15 minute clips of the real habilitation of gabriel which is really fascinating the mm. uh the uh, the first episode was on his injury what exactly happened and his first steps to recovery and they just put out a second episode tonight i saw that it I am on right before the podcast and it's going to focus on like you know what he's doing to get back and it's really interesting to see from the player side what it means to be injured and how how you get back and what they do to get a player back so i mean there's just really all sorts of really interesting content so if you're uh, fixing for your arsenal fix uh the youtube channel is great they did a great you know, I think it was a five part series on the uh the youth academy, which was fun to watch. there's there's a lot of content out there to, to carry over until uh we actually play good games again.
0: Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to dig into that uh Jesus documentary thing. That sounds pretty good.
1: The first episode was fantastic and you know like I knew he'd gotten injured, but it was it was fascinating because he talked he spoke about the injury, which is that he doesn't even know exactly how he got injured. It was, he was playing in, in that Brazil game and he talks a little bit about like, you know, he's always played with pain, but like pain happens. Mm. But then, uh, you know, he didn't, he felt something a little bit, but it was just like, he felt kind of normal and he was just kind of running around. And then when he got subbed off, suddenly his knee just ballooned and got huge. And then they did a scan and found the, uh, the, the tear in the meniscus.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, if he comes back to where he was at at the beginning of the season and, and is able to surpass that because he's um, now playing without pain, I mean, imagine what he's capable of. I'm. We haven't seen the best of him again quite yet. I think okay. he's got he's got a ways to go to get back to where he was, but um, he still plays hard. Like I like what I've seen from him in the last couple of games where he's. Mm-hmm had some time to get into it and uh, he's still doing what he does and he has his moments. Um, and I think the players are definitely trying to get him into positions where he can score so he can get back into that groove. And uh, I'm excited for the the moment when he finally gets that goal again.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think really we'll start seeing his pink at pink. Whoa. He peak <laughs> at the, uh, the real pointy end of the season. They, the, the, the last five, six games, I think is when he's going to really be back to a majority of his fitness. And that's where I think we can start seeing the difference. Mm -hmm. I keep on, uh, I'm sure he has the man city game circle on his calendar. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think with him in the team, we may see a very different game from the, the one previous in the season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. That's gonna be fun. I I just in general to see him make his comeback this season is going to be really exciting, Um, especially like with eleven games left. There's definitely room there to to get back to his Mm -hmm. uh, his normal pace and his 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 fitness and form get back to normal. I think. Uh, We'll see though. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, I have to. We have to talk about this. I I was just glancing through this transcript of this horrible, or awesome, however you look at it, um, <laughs> meltdown from Antonio Conte. And, and he has, has he been, has, has he been fired yet? Has that happened? I, yet, haven't, or even I haven't
1: seen anything. I have, I've been busy. I've had plumbing problems all day. So I haven't really been checking the news as much as I normally do. Uh, so I don't know if he's fired, but the, the The best quote, and it's exactly what I thought when I was reading the transcript, I haven't seen the video, I just read the transcript, Mm. Uh, was a a podcaster was saying, if you were an Arsenal fan and you wrote a script for a Chelsea manager to say, this is exactly word for word what you would make a Chelsea manager say. He just hits every single manager. Yeah, yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham manager. Sorry, every <laughs> single one of the soft spots for Tottenham their their lack of trophies, their lack of club culture. Like it was one of the most brutal manager rants I've 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 seen. And I mean, I I get it. Like, if I take my Arsenal glasses off and I look at as Conte as a human being, he's had a hard year. His you know, he's had his medical issues. His he's lost three friends this year uh, and one of them was his best friend and a uh, huge influence on his tactics and someone he, he really relied on for tactical things. So just, you know, both personally and professionally, it's been a hard year. He's in the, you know, last year of his contract and it hasn't been a great year for him. There's part of me also, also that is like looking at that, and this may be with my Arsenal glasses on. And he, what he said wasn't false. What he said wasn't untrue. It's just really, really harsh for a manager to say that.
0: Yeah. I think the team is it is definitely laying bare what everybody else has seen from this team this year. But the crazy part is they're still in fourth. Yeah. Like, they have not... They have not... uh dropped from where they were last season mm-hmm. and it, and they're in a better position to move up on that so i mean i don't know how much complaining he can actually do based on where they're at but it, you know it's you know, i understand the long over overall they have mm-hmm. not really done much more than that like making champions league and then almost winning it once doesn't yeah do much to really sustain a fan base to really push a team on and they didn't capitalize on that
1: yeah I mean I, I really do they think they they've kind of peaked in a way the, mm-hmm. you know like they that Champions League run was probably the best that they could have expected from the team they had on the field I think Pochettino not winning anything was their that patch Pochettino era was probably their best chance to do it but I think it does hint at some of their structural problems and some of the differences. And you see just in their management hiring. And when you compare it to Arsenal, you go from Pochettino, which I think, you know, again, I'm gonna remove my Arsenal glasses. I think that's was a good hiring and he was a pretty good manager for them. But then the next thing they do is they go after Mourinho, which is this desperation to try and hold on. To it, And then they go to Conte, mm-hmm. which again, you know, Conte and Mourinho are cut kind of the same cloth. They're, you know, quote unquote, high powered managers that have won things before. Whereas you looked at Arsenal, Arsenal realized that the current way wasn't going. So they, you know, hired a completely unproven first team coach. They hired Arteta, but they had a project and they really, you know, and you could say that that's what Arsenal did with Wenger. And I think that is the difference between an arsenal and a Tottenham and, you know, I think, yeah, it it really does highlight, you know, one of the differences. And when, you know, you talk about like why we make fun of Tottenham, it can be said that we have a different idea of ambition than they do.
0: I think you look look at that team and the, their peak coincided with the peaks of, of Kane and son Mm -hmm. and, they're on the tail end like i i they're still good players but not nearly at their their best and when you look at what they've tried to build there it's not not anything more than trying to take advantage of those two players never once like if you look at the way Conte's taken an a, approach to it and and Mourinho and um Pochettino you know they've all approached taking advantage of those those players differently and putting different pieces in around them to try to get the most out of them. Um, But nobody has really put together a cohesive team. Maybe uh, since that, that Champions League run, no one has really been able to put together a cohesive team around them with a strategy to get the most out of them. It just seems like they're just kind of Hitting it hard and hoping it goes in, you know. It's like here, yeah. It, there's no real strategy behind it. It is just let's let's see if we can play, and things will happen, you know. And and that's that's. I don't really know what their long term goal is with that.
1: No, I mean, and you look at uh Levy, uh Daniel Levy, he is in some ways a smart businessman I'm trying I'm speaking slowly because I'm trying to actually find nice words to say <laughs> yeah. but it, he he does know how to make a business deal and I think you know their new stadium is going to generate them a lot of money. They're doing quote unquote in, innovative ideas I hate a lot of what they're doing but it'll, it'll make <laughs> them a lot of money if that's their goal but uh, I don't really think he knows how to build a soccer team. I mean, obviously, they aren't Everton. They're, they've had some some success without winning anything. But uh, I think they need to sit down and have a long, hard talk and probably take a page out of Arsenal's book and really just go, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. This is how you build a team that will actually win things. You know, because you know, even this year, we there's a very large possibility we don't win anything. But we have won the FA Cup in recent years. We do, you know, regularly win trophies. Well, they have failed to win anything in what twenty five years? Is that where they're at? Twenty three years, something like that.
0: And I think if you ask anybody, a neutral or even a Tottenham fan, I who really likes way that they're playing
1: I mean I I do think this is me without my Arsenal glasses on to say that they play absolutely garbage and I don't enjoy if I even try and be a neutral watching them play they don't like like with City I can doff my cap and go like there's some beautiful games they play they have some players that I, I I just love watching I can't say that with Tottenham even you know Kane and son son to a certain degree is fine. But Kane, I don't even enjoy watching him as a striker. I don't think he's an enjoyable player to watch. And the team and the way they set up is not enjoyable to watch. And you see it this year, like their, their fans, if you go onto their, their Twitters and their uh, social meets, their fans hate what they're doing. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to see him play. And it's fine if you do that and you're successful. And that's what Conte has done in the past in Italy. Is put together teams that are not necessarily exciting to watch, but are are productive. This Tottenham team is neither, and you, I don't think they they can be happy with being fourth. You know, especially getting fourth in this manner.
0: Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have them twenty points in the rear view, though. Like that is a good feeling.
1: Ah, so Saint Tottenham's day is uh, creeping up, and it's it's been a while since we've had a Saint Tottenham's day, and uh, I think I'll uh, maybe crack a special beer when that happens.
0: Yeah, I mean they're essentially six six wins. I mean they're they're not pulling out six wins to catch us. No, I mean, I mean, God
1: forbid that happens. I'm knocking on wood right now, but I I I'd, I'd find it unlikely.
0: Yeah. I do find it fairly unlikely that they're going to turn things around this season and it sounds like Conte is going to be out the door if it, it, it's not, he's talking like somebody who like if you don't fire me I'll quit sort of situation. Well I
1: mean you you look at his contract he he's out at the end of the year they they have an option that I think is a their option not a him option so that mm-hmm. they can they can choose to extend it for a year but the, the 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 talk has been for a while even before this rant that they weren't going to renew that uh option and i think actually realistically conte just is looking at it like hey i i'm too expensive for them they he's too expensive for them to fire they're still gonna have to pay him out if they fire him you mm-hmm. know and find another manager a caretaker manager and then find a, a, a full-time manager." they don't have the time and it would be very expensive to do that. So Conte is kind of unfireable at this point in this. And you kind of see that now, like most other managers would have been instant fired for giving that, that rant. But I think Tottenham realizes, all right, there's not much more damage he can do. We'll play out till the end of the season. Let it go. But yeah, I mean, Love to see it. Love to see
0: it. I, lo- I love the implosion. Because at this rate, if they really succumb to the sour mood of the coach, their their fourth might be their peak. Yeah. Like they, could, they could easily have things go the other direction.
1: And, you know, they, they have a lot of competition. You know, Newcastle is definitely a team around there that I think is... Really solid under uh Howe. I think he mm-hmm. the, he's really got them, them going with a defensive core. Their offense is another thing, but with Swedish players sock or Isak coming in and scoring goals for them, I think that uh, Newcastle will give them a fight for their money. And you have, uh you know, Liverpool really trying to fight in there. Man United. There's a lot of teams that are all in that mix, and then a cup, you know talk about a couple of teams like Brighton and other outside teams that are still in that mix as well. If they start stumbling, there's going to be a lot of teams trying to gobble up that uh, spot.
0: Yeah, for sure. I do feel like the it, man United's more in that comp, like everybody's going to want to be trying to get up into man United's place. But I think they're, I I hope I would hope that Tottenham isn't really. I mean, Man United's got two games in hand on them. I don't. I don't really see them competing. I think Tottenham's just going to have to battle everybody else below them to maintain their spot. Mm -hmm. I I don't. I don't see Newcastle leapfrogging Man United, but I could definitely see Newcastle or Liverpool pushing up into those fourth and fifth places. And you know, if Brighton and Brentford continue the form that they've had, you know, hit and miss. I still think they're kind of right in there with what Tottenham could be.
1: Yeah, I mean, and of the Brighton and Brentford, I really do think that uh, Brighton would be the one that really would be the surprise horse. But, you know, the Premier League is
0: long and there's a lot of games left to play. So, Mm -hmm. And who knows, maybe this lights a fire under Tottenham and they find a way to maintain their position.
1: (laughs) We'll see. see. Maybe it was 3D chess from Conte.
0: Oh, yeah, that was the plan all along, for sure. (laughs) All right, uh, we do have one question before we sign off for this week, and that's from Joe Robinson. Uh, And we're going back to Ben White, who we talked about a bit earlier. But he says, is Ben White's omission from the England squad a good thing or a bad thing for Arsenal? Will he have a point to prove or will this damage his confidence? As an England fan, I think it is absolutely insane not to pick and play him given how much he gets out of soccer. Arguably England's best player currently. Um, Saka, not Benway.
1: I mean, I think it's interesting because I have a very specific Arsenal before England national team motivation. Mm -hmm. I think for Arsenal, it was ideal that he doesn't get picked. I don't think players not getting picked really drops their form. I think it. There is a knock-on effect of it does it can raise their form. I think it it does give extra motivation to compete. Uh, I think uh, it helps in the fact that they're playing less games, less chance of getting injured, less chance of uh, getting tired. They're still in the training ground, so still in Arsenal's hands. Arteta can work with them that extra few minutes to get what Arteta wants, which is not necessarily what a uh, uh, the English national team wants out of Ben White. Uh, so from an Arsenal perspective, I think it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. I think I do feel sad because I know that Ben White probably really wants to get those England caps and it's a, a goal for everybody. So personally for him, it's it, it sucks, but I don't think it is a negative in any way for Arsenal.
0: I mean, he... I don't know what his feeling is on the national team. Cause he had some issues. Uh, I mean, we don't really know what happened with him in the world cup. He had to leave a little early and um, I don't know if that was personal or if there was any issues within the locker room or what was going on there. Um, but he's uh, his chemistry with Sokka, I think is a, is an argument for him being on the team. But I think for any club fan, the only times we should care about our team, our players being on the team, making the team, is the Euros and the World Cup. Otherwise, it's just filler. Like, don't let we don't want the the minutes on those legs. So I I don't even as a, even as a U.S. fan, like I don't care if Turner's playing or not. I don't care like whoever you know whoever you're a fan of on on whichever team. It unless you're really in love with them individually, which I understand, but like it's it seems to me that your club team should come first and the the national team second, and uh that's maybe not how it is for the individual players. And I'm sure Ben White has different feelings on that, but or could have different feelings on it. But I, I think at the end of the day, if it's not a major game, I don't think he should be losing sleep over it. I think he's got to just look at. At the bigger picture, and say winning the Premier League is going to be way more important than whatever meaningless friendly or qualifying game there is. Uh, You know that's a short term goal, but long term, he's he's going to get way more out of winning the Premier League.
1: I mean, to be fair, they are Euro qualifiers, and you know it's England, Ukraine, and England, Italy are the two that I'm remembering off the top of my head, and both those games are going to be important for England's qualifying. But from a club perspective, I just think it's, it's a moot. like, I, yeah, I just, I can't, it, it, for me, it's just a, a, a no brainer that it's better for him to be back with the squad for Arsenal if, if that's your priority.
0: Yeah. And yeah, given the Tommy Azu situation, we just really, we got to put Ben White in bubble wrap for this, <laughs> the rest of the year when he's not playing, he's, he's, not he should not be doing anything. And, and uh, uh
1: Well, I guess uh, someone was telling me it was oh it was Giordo, friend of the podcast Giordo, that Arsenal has sent uh medical staff with party for his qualifiers. And I imagine that's literally what they're doing is as soon as he's before he gets on the pitch, they unwrap the bubble wrap, throw him on the pitch, and as soon as he leaves the bubble the pitch, they're gonna put bubble wrap back on him and chip him back. Like I I think uh, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, you, you, we spoke on Saliba earlier, you know, and, you know, making parallels with the, uh, the Holland situation that uh, some of these players are definitely uh, not taking this round of qualifiers very seriously.
0: I I think the party is the the ideal person to have one of those fake injuries. So I'm surprised that we, sent to medical staff with him rather than just having him pull up with some some sort of hamstring (laughs) pull or something that we can back injury stretch out (laughs) (laughs) um okay i think that's that's a good place for us to stop uh for now um thank you all for listening to this week's episode and if you haven't done so yet review and subscribe wherever you're checking us out uh check out our uh check out Let's start over there. <laughs> check out the website for uh Bobcat. They wrote our theme song. You can hear that at the top of the show. And if you want to hear more from them, check out their website, bobc.at. Uh we have a website. No, we
1: don't. <laughs> we do not
0: have a website. We do not have a website. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. We should maybe we should have a website. Maybe my subconscious was speaking. Do people go to um, websites anymore? No. Yeah. Okay. Then I'd have to put. I'd have to create more things. Yeah, we'd have
1: to have more content.
0: Yeah. No. Okay. Forget <laughs> that idea. Uh, we do have a Twitter. It's at WFN London. Uh, you can email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Um, and Discord is a place that we would love to have you if you want to join our discord there is a a link in our show notes so every week you can just click that link you'll show up in our discord it's pretty pretty straightforward and game days you can chat about the game and non game days you can chat about whatever's on your mind whether that be arsenal or something else so come join us uh and we'd love to have you i think that is all for us this week so as always
1: see you at the next game Oh Jesus, none of us are on today See you at the next gun show
0: There we go